Thanks for tuning in to the ABC Music Talk podcast, the show for anyone interested in the music industry. This episode looks into the buzzy world of extended reality, or XR, both from the practical aspects of where we are now, but also some of the things that need considering for both scale and sustainability for the future. But now, a reminder for you all to go rotate your videos. Rota is for artists, managers, labels, or anyone in the music industry who needs to create video content for promotion or monetization. Rota makes it fast, easy, and inexpensive to do all of that in one place. Head to www.abcmusic.co and click the Rota logo on the homepage to access a 10% off discount for the service. So welcome to the show, CEO of Volta, Alex Kane. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, no, it's great to be here. And uh, listeners, we are um, this is one of the first ones that I'm doing live in somebody else's workspace. So uh, we do have some of uh, Alex's co-conspirators tapping away at their keyboards because it's a startup and therefore you work all hours. Is that about right? Uh, yeah, the fun never stops, the fun. for sure. <laughs> That's right. So with more enthusiasm, the fun never stops. The fun never stops. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's... I mean, it's a great job. It's a great industry to be in. But yeah, uh, the hours uh, the hours can be a little long. The, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, but if it was easy, everyone would do it. I think right. is the general sort of uh, statement there. As mentioned in the intro, this show is going to take the listener on a journey based on your experience and and the vision for Volta. Uh, and and listeners, uh, you you will know that I do a call with my guests prior to this. Uh, to these interviews and I can't tell you how excited I am to, for you to all hear what Alex has got to say for himself. Uh, but first off, uh, can you help the listeners understand what Volta is? Uh, perhaps the elevator pitch, if you will. Sure. There is like the super short elevator pitch and then there's a, a bit longer one. So the like super bite-sized one is uh, that you can think of Volta as like Legos for mixed reality aimed at musicians, uh, performers, creators of, of all shapes and sizes. Um, the longer, the slightly longer one is that the reason why we call it that is because, uh, Volta makes it really easy to make an audio reactive, uh, spatial 3d world that renders in, in real time. And so what that means is that you can use Volta for everything from music videos and social content to live streaming and visuals live at a show. Um, or all of the above. You can just set it up once to do all of that once and then repurpose it um, over and over again. Uh, and so what, what we're essentially trying to accomplish is democratize the tools for enabling the spectacle of 3D immersive visuals and events. Yeah, well, because I, I, I've seen the results, and uh, I'll put links to the to the show uh, in the show notes, uh, and they are really impressive. And and I, I definitely, if you're to the uninitiated, they look like a big production. But what you're what you just said is that you're trying to make this more accessible to to, to almost anyone, right? That's right. So I used the term uh, extended. Wait, what did I call it? Extended reality, extended reality, XR. So, in this world of uh, of new words, uh, we've got VR, AR, XR, and MR. Can you help us understand what some of those are, just for the listeners' benefit? I, I can try, but I think uh, at this point, some of those words. I mean, some of those. I can tell you what the words are, but what they mean is kind of uh, still up for debate. Like we're uh, we're part of a collective that we are even having the debate of, of things like what in, what is encompassed under you know 
MR versus XR and what is encompassed in, in other capacities. V VR, virtual reality, is a fully, you know, enclosed reality. You know, it takes over every part of your visual field. Um, AR can kind of mean one of two things um, in practice. It, essentially, you can think of like uh, AR on a phone where you can like, you know, move your phone around in space and see virtual objects in the real world over a screen. Um, is one form of it, but what we're increasingly going to see is uh, AR headsets where you you wear these glasses that have pass-through glasses and essentially it projects um, holograms, uh, real-time rendered holograms onto the glass itself. So it will overlay your actual reality that you're seeing through glass um, with, with, you know, different types of real-time rendered uh, 3D content. Uh, extended reality and mixed reality, in my mind, kind of encompass similar things. They're both kind of umbrella terms for all of the different permutations of, uh, of mixed reality, of, of these different virtual digital realities. Um, and, and that can be a little, that can be straight, somewhat straightforward forward or at least like things like augmented reality can even seemingly be straightforward with things that you've seen like Pokemon Go where you have um, you have you have this app that will place uh, 3D objects in the actual world um, or you can do things that kind of invert that and we've done something similar to that where or we've done we've done exactly that where uh, for example we 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 were part of a show with a, with a record label called Anjuna at the Brooklyn Mirage. The Brooklyn Mirage is fully projection mapped all the way around. And so what we were able to do there was to map uh, visuals of this world that was generated in real time in Volta based on the music coming off the soundboard um, onto the walls around this, this, this crowd. So rather than using a device that you have to look through to see virtual objects in the real world, it was the, the exact sort of inverse of that, where yeah. you know people there in this world, in this scene, were part of this virtual world that was wrapped around them, but actually there, physically there. Fantastic. Yeah, really nice. Really, really nice. And and, and in fact, I might, I'll, I'll perhaps include some of the links that you sent me, because it... A podcast is a great medium, but not very visual. No, uh, we're a very visual company. And you're a very visual company. So yeah. uh, so I think some of these things will be it will be easier for listeners if you do want to go and have a little look, uh, you know, after after the show. How did you end up doing this? <laughs> this, you know, because this, this is new, right? This is brand new. So this isn't like one of those jobs that's been around for a long time. And right. How, how did you get into it? Yeah. Uh, so I, I worked in music for, you know, the majority of my adult professional life and uh, I I was also very into design and and so I actually decided to leave my previous work doing marketing and branding and design for um, for bigger electronic musicians in the States and I actually moved here to London to do a master's program at the Royal College of Art and Imperial College London and so that's actually where Volta started um, one of my professors had made a really good audio, uh, spatial audio, ambisonic audio algorithm, uh, and and he had an interface for it. But those interfaces aren't uh, as intuitive 
as as they could be. So we were. Um, he asked me if I wanted to consider trying to envisage a different uh, type of interface, and so I suggested looking to VR. Uh, simply because, you know, I was in design school as a designer, kind of breaking things down a bit. The idea of, of making, making the editing tool commensurate with the output, meaning something that you, if, if the output is 3D audio, then the editing interface uh, should also be something that you do gesturally in 3D. And so I suggested looking into VR. And so that was the original uh, prototype was a VR application that uh, the, the positions of virtual objects in the scene were calibrated to his algorithm. So you could grab the drum, you could physically grab the drums um, and put them somewhere in space, or you could grab the guitars and wave them around you in space, and you could flick on a button and record motion, and that motion that you physically did would um, spatialize the audio via his algorithm. So that's how it started, but uh, having come from a uh, come from this background where I was going to a lot of electronic music shows because I worked in in that world and I was interested in that world, I I thought it would be really interesting to see what you could do with mixed reality when you apply it to the performative side of music. So applying physics engines and gestural interfaces to the spectacle of the event, um, and so. So that was the direction that that Volta was was heading down until until COVID hit, uh, which killed the live industry at least for a time, um, and and so we had to make a choice um, around how we wanted to take it forward and decided um, to invert the user flow. At that point, um, uh, Yuli, our CTO, who is um, nodding away just yeah. over there. He's, he's got his headphones. Yeah, he's, he's not. He's anything. pretending he can't hear you. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he had just started. I just started hire. I just started working with him. I hired him as a contractor, and he eventually became our CTO. Um, but it was uh, it was at that time that we kind of made a choice um, to invert the user flow. So instead of mixed reality being the control surface, it would become the output and you would feed music and music metadata into Volta and different types of visual media into Volta. The artist can do a little bit of configuration and then when they perform out pops this immersive, interactive, audio reactive world. Okay, it's, it's, it's almost like a new language, some of this, I have to say to uh, an old old uh, music guy like me. but. Um, I think I mean certainly the the output is is explainable when you see it. So uh, so that's great. So and so what you're describing there is that where you're at at the moment? Like is that already the sort of current state of affairs? Yeah, I think I think that's kind of it. it, it that would be like the the big pivot that we had. Um, that was kind of that that in, informed a lot of decisions in terms of uh, what what the medium would be both for the interaction on the artist side as well as the audience side. Um, at the time, we were also still trying to make uh, use of VR as an interface. It, it was it, Essentially, we went from VR as an interface and VR and other visual platforms like 2D streaming platforms like YouTube and Twitch as, a, as an output and then eventually realized that you know very few people 
Uh, it's not so much that very few people had the appetite for trying to learn how to use VR as a control surface, but it was just trying to change multiple, you know, behaviors of different types of people at the same time. Um, the artists and, and, you know, a new relatively small audience in VR was, was going to be difficult. So we decided to focus on the output as being this sort of 3d world space and the artists, um, were much more interested in doing what they did, which was make, play, and perform music, but but with this new layer that was added onto it. Um, so that's that's pretty much how it it kind of evolved into into what it is now. But um, but that was the big sort of step change in 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 what it was going from a control surface um, and an interface to an output, and that's pretty much where we are. Yeah. Okay. And so you mentioned the Anjuna Beats uh, example of the sort of the screens, if you like, around the room, so that the people are within the world that's being created around them as a as a reaction to the music. I mean, again, it's it's, it's such a hard thing to explain. I hadn't really thought about this before doing this interview. Um, so, and uh, and what what's another kind of example of an activation that you, that you've done? Um, so. First of all, I'll say that one of the biggest problems that we have is actually communicating all of this stuff. So yeah. you're not alone in uh, in kind of having trouble to figure out a way to sort of uh, yeah describe it or communicate it. Yeah. Um, you know, execution is actually for a lot of companies, execution is sort of like you know maybe difficult, or they'll you know a lot of it can be vaporware or whatever. Uh, for us, we have an amazing team of, of uh, designers and developers. That's not the hard part. The hard part is conveying what this can do. Yeah. So you're you're um, yeah you're not. We struggle with this with, with that as well, and it's our company. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. So another activation that's a really good example of of what we've that what we've done that can convey you know visually what this is, and you should totally put this video up on on uh on the site as well yeah is uh we were actually a part of uh boiler room's biggest event to date oh wow uh so september 4th last year they did this uh huge uh show i guess it's kind of like a mini festival there's like seven or eight thousand people at three mills island just kind of down the street um and we did volumetric body effects that were rendered in real time um over uh, and India Jordan and the Blessed Madonna. And so, you know, uh, a video, I, I'll give you a video to put up and what you'll see is the Blessed Madonna um, kind of erupting into these particles uh, that that kick in every time, I think it was like, I think we mapped it to either the mids or the base. And, and all of that's rendered in real time. Wow. Um, so these 3D visual effects that were just literally like rippling off of the Blessed Madonna from the music. Um, was being projected at um, at this event. Yeah, so you've got the kind of the, the stage, you've got the screens either side, so you've got her DJing in this example, and then you've also got this kind of really uh, amazing visuals that are happening, because so often it is just a kind of a camera angle on somebody DJing. Well, for right? Boiler Room, that's exactly what it is, yeah. right? It's a very, like, very iconic thing that they've done is, like, close-up fish view lens shot with a crowd in the back. That's it. Um, and, and it, you know, makes you want to be in that room. Um, but it is kind of a, a very straightforward shot. And what this did was add this layer of, of creativity to it. That was, you know, still 
um, emanating from the music itself. Um, and the reason why I like these these two examples in particular is that that they're kind of the inverse of of each other. Right. So with the Anjuna one, um, you know, we wrap the event. It's the whole event in this world, and um, you know, you can see like the silhouette of of the of the DJ in front of this world. And then with this one, uh, with the boiler room one, it's uh, it was. You know, there's no world effects. It's really just you see the Blessed Madonna and you see these really cool particle explosions kind of bursting off of her from the music. And that kind of gives a good example of why, you know, mixed reality or extended reality um, becomes an umbrella term for, for all of this because you can kind of mix and match as much of this reality you want to put into the world that our software can create and contrastingly, how much of the, you know, Volta world that you want to put into to this world. Yeah, I, I mean, the first example I saw of it was, I think, Masia Plex on your website. That was actually at Cova Santa. Oh, was it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, okay. uh, Mitch, who is also here, our COO, uh, he, uh, he, this is when our, this was about a month after the, uh, this is about a month after the Boiler Room one, and our software wasn't quite that stable yet. And right. so like we, you know, we felt confident in its capabilities when we like had a, you know, a developer with us and could hold our hands through it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, Mitch, Mitch did a great job of, uh, of, of that at, at Cova Santa in, in Ibiza. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but, it, you know, it, it was that sort of like classic sort of DJ set and it was like, just transforms what otherwise is just that sort of various camera angle type of things and and you could see you could see him kind of enjoying the process of interacting in that other dimension that you know where whereas normally it's just the the, the audio right as a dj so and then you've got that 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 uh that interaction going on with it and he, he seemed to be enjoying the, that process which i thought was quite it was quite good for the viewer as well yeah, I mean, the, the reaction that we've gotten from like a lot of people who, you know, kind of see themselves like uh, either during or after is, is uh, you know, incredible for us. That's kind of why we're doing it. Like we're all, you know, uh, this, this, this camera angle doesn't really give a good view of the rest of the office, but there's like music equipment everywhere. Yeah. We're, um, we're all musicians, I'll, producers, I'll, I'll, and DJs. I'll be doing some cutaways later on, okay. don't you worry. We'll get to see a few things, yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Oh, very good. Um, so, uh, so that's kind of where we're at now. Oh, and and I saw that you uh, worked with Imogen Heap as well. Um, and I mean, her her the example again. These are examples on the website. Hers hers was like this very physical. You know, unlike a DJ who's typically sort of stuck behind decks, for want of a better description, you know, she was moving around her uh, her wonderful studio space in, in Essex, uh, you know, sort of running around and things like this. And, and that was just a completely other version of it. I mean, that was her in this other world. Yeah. Moving around. Yeah. 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 She, uh, I think, still has probably logged more hours performing in Volta than anyone else so far, which is by itself a ridiculously cool thing to say to Very have this much so. super talented Grammy yeah. award winning uh, musician uh, to spend that much time both working with and performing in Volta is cool um, but then she did uh, you know then she kind of took it a step further took our technology a step further and wanted to film it was her idea to do this to film a music video in Volta and and record it 
and and have, it renders in real time, but then also to stream it live. Um, so you know she had she had spent a little time. She and her um, her, her lead team. kind of technical yeah. engineer uh, Sky Alexi had worked with Yuli a bit and uh, and spent a little time sort of. Uh, figuring out how they wanted the visual to look for this um, for this new single that she was putting out, and and she you know planned a little bit of choreography to it, but then you know on the day of, like the the video that you see was just one uh, consistent take, just shot on an iPad with one of the new lidar sensors because that's how she got all of that really cool volumetric effect. So, so Volta can pull in the LiDAR data from the new iPhones and iPads. Yeah. And, um, you know, as you move closer and further away to it, you aren't just kind of having the same sort of effects. Like it might recognize that you're a human, but it actually recognizes closeness and depth, which for software that makes a 3D world and you want to give that much stronger of, of a sense of, of, people in space and these effects in space, um, the LiDAR effects really helped that. And so, um, yeah, this was her idea. She planned it all out. Um, and then on the day of did, I think eight or nine, I think she did nine takes, um, shot like the whole thing on an iPad the day of, and then has a whole separate, like six or seven hour behind the scenes, uh, live stream on YouTube so that people can see what's happening around. Right. And, um, and yeah, I think the eighth one, I think it was the penultimate, uh, take was the one that they went with. And I don't think they really did any post-processing, any video editing to it. Wow. I think that was just it. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean that, you know, cause obviously with, um, with any of these things, you know, the, the, the amount of work that you have to do to get a, a product ready so that it can go out, as I know with this podcast, that you know, the less I have to do editing-wise, for example, like I can already hear that I know I'm not going to have to pick out ums and ahs and stuff like that from from your from your vocal, probably just mostly from mine. And, that's uh, and that's really helpful. that's wonderful to hear because <laughs> I feel like that is something that is a I don't know an Achilles heel of mine is is the ums and ahs and the likes and the all the other does. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we all have we, we all have something, right? Sure. And uh, but some more than others is all I'm going to say. Having having now had to listen back to a lots of interviews, but but going back to Imogen, the fact that she was able to, as you say, pretty much take it straight out of the machine and and put it live. I mean, well, that's a that's a real testament to to what you've built and the kind of I guess the, the general concept behind it. The fact that it is reactive to somebody doing something in real time. As long as all the as long as all the tech works, as long as Yuli's done his job right. Yeah. <laughs> then then there's no reason why not yeah uh like i said it it was uh it was her idea to do this and it sort of pushed us it just it pushed us to and we didn't really she didn't push us to do very much like there was a little bit of of pre kind of production so to speak but not a whole lot and and this was just a use case for our software that made so much sense but we just never thought to do it yeah. it took kind of her creative mind and to see kind of this potential and what our our software can do which is amazing uh, yeah that is definitely one of her strengths um so uh, but great sort of discovery for you in terms of figuring out what the product can be and yeah. can do 
yeah no it's it's uh, it's really fascinating so so i think we've started to touch on a little bit of what's to come as well with volta i mean you, you just talked about uh the use of uh, new technology that's now appearing in well let's face it fairly ready readily available devices because this is again going back to your kind of original mission statement of making this accessible to a lot of people like not everybody's going to have specialist equipment for example yeah well i mean uh so so, so can you talk about the, the LiDAR thing? Sure. Yeah. Like, I think before Apple put uh, LiDAR sensors into, like, the iPhone 12, I think a LiDAR camera, a decent one, costs at least, like, $5,000. Yeah. So the fact that, like, they took it and put it in, like, a good one and put it into a $1,000 piece of technology by itself was amazing and opened up a lot of potential in that respect. And, you know, the... The thing, I guess, to think about, and I imagine the thing that, that they are thinking about in, in the capacity of putting these, making these sensors available to, you know, anyone who can afford an iPhone or an iPad, which isn't cheap itself, but is, is at least $4,000 cheaper than mm. the previous, you know, sensor you'd have to buy, is that, you know, as, as these depth sensing uh, devices become more ubiquitous as more and more people have them, you know, we anticipate that uh, the, the sort of content that people, that user generated content will become, will be less about capturing, you know, different forms of 2D media to capturing reality itself. Um, an example of that would be like, I was, I was at a show in Hackney uh, two weeks ago, something like that. Um, and, and it hadn't occurred to me until literally being at that show to do this, but we, uh, the, the app that we've, we've sort of composited into, into kind of a, a partner, uh, uh, a companion app with, with our desktop software will allow you to grab the, not just the video, but the depth data of, of, you know, of a scene uh, and store it to the phone. And so I, I just started doing that. I, I was video, I was like taking a video, but also taking a video with the depth data of this band live at this show. Mm -hmm. And then we can now, um, you know, turn that into something visually incredible in, in, in retrospect. So, so yeah, the, the access to, uh, depth sensing technology is, more profound than you know people realize now um and and it will lead to people ca capturing not just videos of the world but reality itself yeah and and so when did it first dawn on you to 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 use to, to that that technology even existed in the devices so the first sort of like use of of anything like that was uh was microsoft made for the xbox connect and that I think uses, uses infrared sensors, and right. so a lot of people have. Uh, I think I think it's called the Xbox Connect, and now it's called the Azure Connect. And I think at the time, more people were using the Connect for hacking it into. I think there was an SDK for it, and so people were using it right. to hack into different creative projects, way more so than they were selling for people to use on Xbox for gaming or anything right. like that. It's interesting. And, um, and so there's a lot of really amazing uh, real-time rendered stuff that has come out. Like, 
the first one of the first things that I had seen that was really compelling was uh, there's this visual artist named Daito Manabi who did this live set with um, with a music producer named No Saj Thing and rigged up three of these infrared cameras around uh, No Saj Thing while he was performing and was able to stitch that together into this into this world that was rendered in real time with him at the center. Him at the center, um, and so at one point it it had been on my mind like that that's existed before Volta was even a concept. Mm -hmm. um, and at one point we you know it, it had been on our minds to sort of explore that. And then when the iPhone 12 came out. Uh, with a LiDAR sensor, and then uh, another super talented developer, his name is Kajiro Takahashi, he makes kind of the most like next level libraries for, for Unity, uh, and Volt is built in Unity, the Unity game engine, and we were surprisingly quickly able to take the library that he'd made um, and uh, both build it onto an iPhone, build it into Unity, and build it into a version of Volta, um, and, and tried it out. And the reason why, or the event, I guess, that, that we're just like, you know, acted as a forcing function for this for us was, um, was a woman named Bishy. She's a sitar player and a singer, and she was gonna be performing on Amazon Music's Twitch channel. And she already wanted to do something with us, you know, probably at the time, the idea was just use cameras and do a bunch of really cool either visual effects behind her on a screen or something like that. But we just kind of pushed ourselves to try. By by, we pushed ourselves. I, I mean, I, I pushed Yuli, our CTO, to try and figure out if we could do a tech <laughs> spike and make this work in time. And and we did. Like within two weeks of really kind of thinking about it, researching it, and implementing it, we we did this. We did this event with with Bishy, and it went off incredibly well. Brilliant. Okay. I mean, I guess, I guess you're, I guess you're going to constantly, as we sort of discussed with Imogen as well, you're going to constantly find these moments where it's like, huh, how do we, could we, can it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one really good example of, of that again, uh, it, with Yuli, our CTO sort of, uh, being kind of the impetus of this without necessarily realizing it at the time. We were well, then in, he was about to create more work for himself. Well, yeah, that's that's, that's what it means. But it also it, it it reformatted our whole business strategy just off of a, hey guys, look at this thing that I, you know, was just messing around with and tried out. Um, we were uh, we went through Techstars Music, uh, not this past year, but the year before. Right. And and what I think what's most surprisingly what's what's most surprising is that this sort of discovery came up during Techstars music because it's such a full-on program that like being able to take any time to do anything outside of the scope of that seems seems crazy but uh but on like I want to say like you know it was a Monday or Tuesday Yuli was like check out this thing I did uh you can you can use the chat window in Twitch to ping back a message to Volta. And he just did that. And he's like, yeah, isn't this cool? And Mitch and I are COO. We immediately like saw the potential in it. And Yuli, I think he just saw it as like, you know, a clever thing that he did, like yeah. a clever tech spike. And I was just like, no, this is, this is incredible. The, the capacity to add 
global controls for an audience, you know, for, for an infinitely big audience uh, to the content that they're watching in real time is, is what this means. Yeah. And, and now it's become, you know, central to our go-to-market strategy, to our monetization strategy, to our business in general. Yeah. I, I, when you showed me the example video you've got uh, of that, uh, of Mitch DJing, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, it, 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 it's so immediately obvious what you've done there. You, yeah. You've done what I think is, it feels like what one of the hardest things that people have found with trying to translate that live experience of being at a gig where you're by default going to interact with other people because mm-hmm. you're kind of in the moment they've never quite managed to bottle that and put that into a digital product. Now I'm not saying that your chat window alone is exactly the same. I'm, you know, I don't think you are, you are either, but that's closer. That's much closer. Yeah. We, we, we feel the same way. We don't think that this is, you know, what it is right now is, is the solution to having, adding global scale to, uh, you know, these shows or being able to hybridize live events. We think that it's on the way to that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we think that we need to do a lot of research and, and we are, you know, we've been to, we've all kind of been to a lot of shows and, and no one more so than a bunch of our engineers who have focused on the live, like literally one of our engineers wrote a PhD on the liveness of live events. Um, our CTO Yuli is, mm-hmm. has, uh, I think, like a dozen years of interactive audio mixed reality development experience, and like has done a share of um, of trying to integrate different forms of technology into live events. And you know what you what what it what you find is is that more often than not, the technology gets in the way. Right. And um, so we are trying to be very thoughtful about how and where we integrate this this kind of technology um we we are about to start kind of a whole research uh epic uh for the the next probably three to six months on things like uh, on specifically on audience interaction but really trying to dial it you know back and, and zoom out to things like what what is it about liveness? What is it about live events that we all really enjoy? Um, and examples that I, I like to really give that reference this are, if you look at something like um, applause. Applause is not this behavior in aggregate. It's, it's a feedback loop, mm-hmm. right? It's a viral sort of momentary viral moment. A standing ovation is that as well. Like, and when you think about things like, like fandom, or, or why you go to a live event. You know, you don't go to a live event because the, the audio quality is really good. Yeah, right. It's, it's usually pretty shit, <laughs> right? Like, the best way to listen to, you know, your favorite music is to sit on your couch with a pair of, like, really good headphones, yeah. you know. You go, to a, you go to a show for different reasons and trying to understand why we do that, what it is about that, um, that we can sort of... Uh, you know, definitely enhance the at-home experience, but at the very least, like, not get in the way of the live experience and and just try and make people feel more more unified um, is 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 the approach that we're that we're taking to it. Yeah, 
um, well, I'm, and I'm, I'm sure you will continue to do by the sounds of things what you currently do, which is have an idea and then try and make it work or make it work and then go, actually, let's expand this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I saw that chat interaction, that was it just unlocks so much about that community uh, aspect of, of you know in, enjoying something which is already by its nature a more immersive experience online right yeah <laughs> for the chat app what the version that you showed me had certain keywords being used within within the example is, is it always going to require keywords uh, will the audience need to learn how to use volta so so we we had to write a chatbot to read the chat window, um, which actually all it does is it reads the chat window, converts it into a MIDI note, and um, and then sends it back to the computer running Volta. Um, but because you know because this is a chatbot that can can read the chat window, can also write back. And so in the video that you saw, you know we pre designated a handful of keywords, like you said. Uh, dots turned Mitch, our COO, who's DJing on the video, into this sort of swarm of psychedelic-looking dots. Yeah. Cubes turned them into these sort of like red pulsing cubes. <laughs> um, There's that visual thing being very difficult to explain yeah. on, in an audio format. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not the easiest thing. <laughs> uh, and, and so we had a chatbot right back. You know, when you type in the right keyword, it'll say from our Twitch account, you know, uh, dots, I think it says looking dotty or something like that. Yeah. And so there's almost this in-process learning behavior right. that as long as one person knows how to do the initial, uh, the initial interaction, then it becomes fairly apparent what, that, that, that has some effect in the world. And therefore, you as an audience member can kind of just start learning. Um, that's what we've learned in the sort of few examples where we've done it in a closed system where, you know, we had a lot of control. Uh, like I said, this this first rollout of it at scale in a very public capacity, we'll see if that, you know, if that really works at scale, if there's going to be a learning curve for the audience as much as the, the mm-hmm. artist. Um, but you know, that's, that's what making new technology, I guess is kind of all about is, is learning as we go. And yeah. And unfortunately you're creating this at a time when I think the, the generations coming into this are quite adept at learning as they go, whether it's, you know, discord coming into the, into your life and suddenly becoming, you know, a large part of it. And that's, that's fairly esoteric in terms of how it works, right. Compared with say, I don't know, a Facebook group, right? It's it's a very different type of thing. So um so I think you I think you'd be all right. Uh, which is good. No, I was just I was just curious as to sort of how uh how you sort of saw that that product developing in in its early stages. Yeah. Uh right now we're going to focus it around the chat window cuz um you know we we want to be as accessible as we can be for wherever an artist has an audience and you know the various 2D streaming platforms like Twitch, like YouTube, like Mixcloud, you know, there are there are many others, but that's kind of where we're starting to focus on. They have APIs, they have public publicly available APIs, and and can can you know give us the data that we need predominantly through through the chat. Twitch does offer like additional um, 
additional modes of interaction through through extensions and it's kind of built for that like twitch mm -hmm. is much more built for live streaming whereas you know youtube natively came out as a way to upload video rather than to stream so mm -hmm. it's not uh it's not as well suited for that and so their api isn't as flexible in that way but you know over time our our aim is to create ways that we're not a that we're not dependent on any sort of third-party platforms uh at least as far as kind of the modes of interaction go but also you know there's only so much that you can do with that yeah right like uh there's there's so many more ways that people um interact with the world than just typing words into a chat window yeah and, for and, sure and so you know that's that's going to be a focal point for us yeah for sure so that's obviously the new product that you're you're working on at the moment is there anything else that you've got kind of in the can that that you're noodling on even if it's sort of experimental level yeah i think uh, one thing that's that's worth sharing because it 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 really does a good job of illustrating where we think not only Volta as a company and the product can go, but where different forms of entertainment go, is uh, when it, essentially, you know, if you look at our our product roadmap, that's sort of plastered in, <laughs> in post-it notes along the wall. It looks like the letter F, your post-it notes. I'm going to have to get a video of that in a second. Is, is, that, is that design... On purpose? No, that's not, is it? That's just how it is. It, it just happens to be that there's <laughs> way more stuff on on two arms that really need to get done uh, than on all the other stuff that we've that we've thought out. But um, but the so if you look on on the post-it letter F that's on the wall, uh, you'll see something that says metadata recorder. And right. and so what what's implied in that is you know, when you when you see content uh, that's made in Volta, you see a 2D rendering of a 3D environment. Um, but it's, you know, regardless of where and how you use it right now, you're going to see it on a screen somewhere, right? right? You're going to see it on a laptop screen or on an LED wall or projection mapped on a on the side of a yeah, venue. Because that's kind of where we're at, right? That's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Um, but it's actually still making all of the data necessary to make a 3D world. It's not just making a rendering in that moment, it's making all the data of a 3D world. And so what, what this, this metadata recorder concept will do is allow people to uh, record their performances in a 3D spatial way. They'll be able to record their experiences. They'll effectively be able to record moments in time. Um, that that at some point will become uh, re re-experienceable, and so our uh, our ambition or our mission is you know we've started in music mm -hmm. and and that's where we will live for a very long time, but our longer term goals are to democratize mixed reality and and we think that mixed reality itself will become an art form in its own right on par with you know movies and and music and gaming and and theater and you know could even 
become the predominant art form um, for, for a number of reasons, because, but largely because it has interaction at its core. It has human behavior and humanness at its core. It's not a passive experience. It's an active one. And so if, if experience itself um, can, can be a canvas, you know, we like to think of our, ourselves as, as the potential to be the de facto paintbrush for that. And so, you know, one of the things that we are going to build uh, into the tech, into the product, hopefully by the end of the summer, depending on what our dev team has to say <laughs> about it, uh, is, is this metadata recorder, which will allow exactly that. And, you know, in the future, um, you'll be able to, to not just replay this 3D world in a copy of Volta on your computer, but um, on 3D hardware, yeah. like AR headsets or VR headsets or what have you. Yeah, really nice, really, really nice. Okay, so so let's let's look to the future, but through the through the lens of uh, a business model, because at the moment, uh, to use Volta, it's currently free. Is that is that true? It is, and uh, it is our intention to to keep it that way. Excellent. I'm sure your investors are thrilled uh, to hear all about the fact that you're never charging for this. So, so come on. It, this is also a business. This isn't some sort of art project that you're just doing uh, on the side, is it? So, so what's the plan? What, what are you going to do? So, so our our plan is essentially to just further align ourselves with our uh, you know the people that we really care about, which is artists, mm -hmm. um, music, musicians, creators, performers. Essentially, the way that, you know, we intend to monetize Volta is not by charging artists. Um, there isn't a subscription model. There isn't anything like that. The, you know, the full fat version of Volta that, or the version that you can download now that is free is the full fat version. There isn't like any sort of get it for seven days or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the reason being is, is that our, our monetization model is around audience interaction. So, you know, again, starting with all of these words in the chat window that, that we're just talking about, uh, after we build that layer into the product, um, probably a couple of weeks after that, we will build the ability for artists to charge for um, certain interactions. Um, another sort of thesis of, of Volta or, or a concept that Volta is built on is the idea that, you know, we believe that uh, entertainment, particularly live music entertainment, um, the future of it is inherently interactive and participatory. And, you know, I think there's a lot of evidence to point to, to the fact that that's, that's uh, you know, a wanted way to experience entertainment. And, and so what we're doing is we're giving artists the ability to say, you know, if you want to let your fans write their name on some trippy stars in the sky, then you can charge um, 10 bucks for that interaction. You as, an, you as an artist, you know, get to decide what the keywords are, what the interaction is, um, how much you want to charge for a fan to have a certain amount of participation in the event. And then, um, and so we're trying to unlock a new revenue stream for them while also unlocking a new sort of visual media uh, medium for them to, to perform in. And so it's only through 
moments where artists make money that we make money and we'll take a cut from each uh each interaction very interesting okay so so okay so you're giving them a, a set of tools that they can do further creations with to help communicate their story or whatever it is that, that is their artistic output and you're going to go along that journey with them probably kind of as you are currently co-create we're right? learning as we go for learning sure as, <laughs> yeah, learning as you go and and yeah it's a sort of very sort of cooperative uh method of of you know, running running a running a business with them uh, in some respects, right? Because when they make money, you make money. That's right. Yeah, very very interesting. Yeah, everything we we do, uh, we want to make sure that we're aligning ourselves with artists. That's that's our our focus. Yeah. Um, will, will you? Um, I mean, this because you know how uh, like some artists like to have those moments that are very special to them and they are their own identity. But some of the some of the concepts that they'll create will probably have application elsewhere is the intent because of its it, its free nature for it to never end up in an exclusive relationship with somebody or have you not got that far <laughs> uh no i mean we we want the tools to be available to everyone we're essentially like we don't really think that 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 mixed reality will have true artistic merit uh, until there's enough people that can dive into it and use it and play around with it and get their hands dirty with it and kind of discover things by accident. You know, um, another thing that like we kind of like to say is, you know, right. If, if a paintbrush costs half a million dollars, which is kind of like the cost of, you know, building a mixed reality event or experience, the minimum cost for building like a mixed reality event or experience right now, if you were to go out and hire someone to do it mm. um if a paintbrush costs half a million dollars you wouldn't you as an artist wouldn't really optimize for creativity you'd optimize for for profit and and so you know we we really think by aligning our incentives with artists it allows us to to unlock that creative potential because it means that people don't have to worry about uh, spending too much of their time or resources on something that needs to be profitable, they can make something that can be truly creative and artistic. Yeah, there was something that you said, which I'd like to go back to when we when we spoke last time, because we were talking about business, the business model, and the fact that you're never going to have this as a subscription style business. And there was something you you said around. Uh, those subscription models optimize for addiction well, no no so subscription models i think they're fine um like and i think there 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 is the potential for different forms of subscription in our future but like if you just want to use volta and like its core creative capacity uh -huh. that will always be free um it's not subscription it's it's uh advertising advertising sorry yeah, yeah. yeah i must have wrote my notes wrong time. no worries no yeah, worries yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think there's there's a place for subscription models and everything, and I don't think that's particularly like predatory or anything. Mm -hmm. No, it's advertising. Advertising that that yeah. I I kind of drew a line in the sand early on, and now I've said it publicly enough that I think we have to stand by it. <laughs> um, that that yeah, we'll we'll never be an advertising based model, um, like you know, kind of in the auction based advertising Facebook instagram mm. kind of way and 
And the reason is, is that, yeah, you optimize, you're not optimizing for the best use of the tool. You're not optimizing for creativity. You're not optimizing for enjoyment. You're optimizing for addiction. What I worry about in this industry and with this new technology is, you know, what the implications are, especially when, you know, we expect to, to, be a source of content for things like an AR headset that will literally live on your face and change the world around you. And you can imagine that if a little red dot in the corner of you know the Facebook browser window can have an effect on the you know a, a, a pretty meaningfully negative effect on the the social fabric of our world. Um, imagine what could happen if if you don't don't create um, s- systemic values that you build into um, something where you are literally putting the content of what what we enable on your face. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, we'll never have an advertising based platform. We'll never optimize for addiction. Um, that's kind of a, a hard line that that we're keeping. Yeah, well, I'm glad uh, you got to say that because it was yeah, when we spoke that really sort of stood out to me. I I genuinely don't think I'd heard anyone articulate it before, and it's yeah, so that's that's pretty visionary. And I wonder how many others might start to see that. I hope everyone starts to see that. I yeah. think you know. Um, I, I think it's. It's, uh, I mean, I have my own thoughts on the existential nature of the world and why things are the way that they are, but I definitely think that, you know, there is no shortage of of, uh, global negative effects that are coming from people who are willing to, you know, optimize for things like that. Like, there's, there's, at this point, kind of a lot of books kind of coming out about it, but, you know, one book that I'd read that really impacted me was... um, Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. And one thing that she said just just kind of shook me mm-hmm. a little bit that like, you know, the, the previous form of capitalism, industrial, or the, I mean, it's still a thing, but like the previous predominant form of capitalism, industrial capitalism took uh, the natural world as its raw resource uh, and as its raw resource and refined it into the modern world that we've built up around us. Uh, whereas what she calls surveillance capitalism uses our actual, the experience of our actual lives as the raw material for, um, for this sort of profit, you know, uh, aggregation system. And that, and just kind of seeing everything through that lens is terrifying. And I think that uh, if you, if you, I think, I think these new technologies are coming, they're real. Um, and, you know, we are going to have a place in, hopefully, you know, we as a company become successful and have a place in, 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 in this space. But, you know, doing things like drawing a hard line around why certain um, uses of technology are are bad at a fundamental, are good or bad at fundamental levels is, is necessary. Uh, one final question, I think. I was just curious, are, are there any 
other uh, projects in your kind of in your space that you quite like at the moment? Are there, are there other things that get you excited? One company that um, I, I can point to that I think are covering their bases in a really smart way, including that that angle of it, is is a company that we partnered with, which is Pixel Links. Ah, yes, of um, course. I mean, they they are going down that route from you know from from what I can understand, um, but then they're also uh, kind of. I think they're using that as a core space to build out um, an ecosystem that all plays well together, which mm-hmm. is which is one of the promises of Web3, right? It's not just decentralization, but it's interoperability. And um, and their approach to it is is you know is is pretty smart and the, the team itself is um, is great. Uh, you know, uh, Ender, uh, Dean Wilson, Ben Turner, um, Richie and Joel mm-hmm. Deadmouse, like, um, gotten to spend varying amounts of time with all of those guys, and and they are great and and thoughtful, and their approach to all of this stuff is one of, um, is one of just optimism around sort of like a what seems like a kind of like a hub and spoke sort of strategy with them sort of at the, at the hub, which I think is great because we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to do everything. We're trying to, we're trying to make mixed reality artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can benefit from, um, from the ecosystem that they create, um, if their ecosystem is the, it won't just be the one, there won't be a one, but is one that sort of really takes off and gets to foster um, a number of different uh, companies in the space, then you know I'll I'll feel genuinely lucky that they they wanted to partner with us early on. Um, so I think their approach is is good, and they're kind of they're doing both sides of it well. They are they do have this sort of core thing that you know. We'll see if if the sort of not going from gaming to music, but from music to gaming works for them. Um, but either way, um, building up this ecosystem of interoperable companies is sort of, I think, a happy medium between what you know Web three unregulated looks like yeah. and Web three that has has a little bit of of planning to it, you know. For sure, yeah. yeah. I, we and that's that interoperability aspect has, has come up uh, a few times on panels and things that either I've been involved with or listened to, and we are definitely not there. But to your point about Pixel Links, at least they're trying to make some version of that, some on ramp into into that. So, and it's going to need that. It's going to need that too. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much, man. Like super interesting. Like just like you're so, I'd say you're so lucky to kind of be doing this, but of course this is of your own creation. So uh, you made your own luck. I am just... incredibly lucky to be doing this. I think I have the best job in the world. <laughs> I really do. I, I, um, you know, I definitely, I, I love saying this as much as I can. I feel genuinely lucky that uh, I get to be sort of, working in this crazy new space um but the thing i'm like i i and i'm not just pandering here like the people that i get to work with are uh brilliant and and 
just great people. We, we just had, uh, as, as you know, we just had our first sort of company away yes. week retreat thing. And it was the first time, uh, most of us, there's 12 of us in the company now, um, 10 of the, I guess 11 of, of, of us were able to get together and, you know, you spend enough time with people even like remotely on zoom and stuff. And you think you, you know, you know, um, people, but you know, just being in person with them just made me appreciate them even more and recognize how, like how lucky I am to get to, to work with all of these people. They're genuinely just like ridiculously smart. <laughs> I feel so, yeah, I feel genuinely lucky to get to work with them. That's fantastic. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, but also it's a commentary on, I guess what you're trying to do as a, as a company there, where you're trying to help people connect together, uh, on, on mass, of course, not just, you know, 11 people in a room, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the, the lockdowns definitely taught, I think the world more or less what it's like to lose that, 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 that human interaction. Um, yeah. And like I said, our, we all, most of us, I want to say like, 90% 90% of us we do have some contractors that we work with uh, quite frequently and even mm-hmm. them like pretty much 90% of us are either musicians producers DJs something like yeah. that and so you know it does concern us about like the use of technology it, the potential for technology to take away from the humanness of things which is why we you know are very sort of aware of how easy it would be for technology to get in the way of live events, which is what we really care about. So, um, yeah, uh, we are, you know, some, some, there's some hard lines like the advertising thing. There's some lines that, you know, we're trying to figure out where, uh, where they should fit and, and, and kind of where we fit in, in there, but ultimately like maintaining, um, Maintaining the humanness of, of experiences is is a hard line. Wherever we can, we defer to that. Yeah, very good. Thank you. Uh, okay, well, I think we'll leave it there. We've come up on time uh, rather nicely. So to my listeners, thank you for listening. As ever, I welcome all feedback, comments, and suggestions for future shows. My Twitter and Instagram handle is at Alex Branson, uh, or head to the website where it's a contacts page. Uh, Also a shout out to the incredible audio assassins who provide the music branding for the show. And if you like the show, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.